Hello, and welcome to All in Motion. This is Scar City, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in to episode number 46, What It Takes as a Manager to Make Tough Decisions, with our guest. Back for a fourth time, Brendan Inch. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All in Motion. I'm your host, Jake. I have a, another exclusive one here. We have someone, this is the fourth time on All Motion. So if you have not uh, checked out All Motion, please be sure to go back and check these episodes out. We have Brendan Inch. And before we yeah. get into it, Brendan Inch, how are we doing, sir? Doing good, sir. How are you? Good. We're going to do a quick uh, quick introduction. Uh, everybody knows Scar City, but those, those who don't, we have you on. I just want to go over your episodes real quick. We have um you know all the way back i appreciate you and your time uh all the way back from the beginning episode number eight part one being disciplined part two number eight being disciplined to you and then we jump forward all the way to i just want to make sure i'm you know uh keeping track of, of all everything you brought to all motion number 24 putting in the daily grind all great episodes short and to the point uh before we dive into it with you sir just want to uh obviously uh, for those out there, just want to, you know, your audience and and everybody else, Scar City uh, partner and uh, co-host, host, almost. How we doing, sir? Oh, doing fantastic! Excited about this interview. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. You want to give just a brief little introduction about who you are, real quick, audiences yeah, out there. So, so, cool. so to 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 uh, piggyback or veggie back off of what you just said, <laughs> you know, I'm a, a host, co-host, a partner here, All Emotion, and my background is information technology. And and music business consultation. So, look forward to this interview, and let's get into it. Brennan, before we kick it off, fourth installment with you, sir. I'm gonna <laughs> give a little brief uh, background: who you are, what you do, and what you got going on. Yeah. Um, so, Brennan Inch, I an account manager for the my family's landscaping company, Inch and Co. Landscaping. Jake and I met. Uh, our connection started at Bloomsburg University way back in the day in accounting. I've been just grinding over here as we had in that, you know, in, in my episode, we're just, uh, I'm just selling jobs. That's what I do. Account manager at, at our land, at our family's landscaping company. Looking forward to this interview. Appreciate it. And you have a beautiful family, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. I have a two and a half year old daughter and, awesome. uh, my beautiful wife. Awesome. And, uh, just, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess, I have, I have to realize that I've been on a few episodes now and uh, something that's changed you're recently. You're, was... you're, you're a veteran. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You had to, uh, you and your, your cousins in, in the business had to lay off some workers. So we just want to dive into it uh, and see what that's been like and have you expand on that. Yeah. Um, thanks for asking about that. It's been, it's been a, a different year. So ever since the inception of our business, uh, Every year we've had snow, we've had rain, and the winters are full of uh, doing snow removal nonstop. The summers, spring and summer is mowing, weed whacking, uh, mulching and trimming, maintenance services, landscaping install services. And we've been able, we've been fortunate throughout the years, it's been about 25 years now, to really never do anything except bring more people into the business and give more jobs. The economy has affected it, I believe, but the weather has become a huge issue in not receiving any snow really at all in the Northeast last winter. And then this year 
in the spring here, you know, May and June are our heaviest mowing months where we're, we're really pumping hard and there's no rain. We've had the, I'm sure everybody's aware of the situation. You know, you look outside and normal people just see Brown, but for us, that's dollar signs falling through the cracks and we can't mow. And that's a big, you know, that's a big part of our business and not being able to do any snow last winter and this spring being very, very dry. Customers are pushing their jobs off because they don't want to plant plants that are going to die. We can't mow grass that isn't growing. So, you know, we did have to tell a couple of people that we don't have, we don't have the work for them right now, which has been tough. And something that is a big part of our business and our culture is the people. We care very deeply about the people. So it was, it was difficult. You know, it's, it's hard to look somebody in the eye and, and say, hey, you know, you're going to have to look for something else. We can't make it happen right now for whatever reason, but I can lead it, lead into it later. I just kind of tell them, you know, this is something out of our control and um, we're trying to control everything that we can control. But at the end of the day, the result is the result. And, you know, we did have to play some people off. And I wanted to just dive into it. And we you shared about it in the, in the last episode it was the uh, H2A and H2B program. I tied the link.gov website to it, the process, because some of those employees will be clear it's pretty remarkable and amazing what you do, even though you, I'd say you know, your business is not small anymore. I say definitely middle because, I mean, you have, I mean, when I was there, Labor Day, I never knew that, you know, you penetrated multiple industries due to the fact that it was myself, my cousins and their dad, alpha males, basically in, in one confined space, that confined space being the landscaping business. And we're all very high performers we move quick, make quick decisions and a lot of big heads in a room. It, you, you know, you start to run into each other and there's not really any issues. It's just that we needed to branch out. You know, we just realized over time that it's going to make more sense to not stay in one, one lane and branch out into other lanes, you know, diversify. So that's, that's where we took it. Yes. Um, so we're in real estate, property management. Um, we are also in landscaping. We, me and him would both jump out and pop the, she'd pop the trunk and we'd both have to get the mower out because we were so little that you know, we were probably 10, eight, nine, 10. You know, back in that day, kids worked hard and that's what, we, that's, yeah, that's how we got started. Uh, that's awesome. I think Scott said you had, you had a, you came off. I saw you. Yeah. Had, yeah, go ahead, sir. Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to ask a question uh, in terms of like landscaping. Um, how do you how do you see the market? Like, is it is it the same market as interior design, or do you kind of see that as non competing uh, industry for you guys? Yeah, I would I would see that as a non competing industry. It's it's pretty separate. Okay, all right. Yeah, you're, you're educating me here on landscaping, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Go ahead. Go. No, it's interesting you asked that question, Scar City, because it's funny. We were just talking the other day about uh, his kitchen. I think your wife does interior design, right? Yeah. So she actually, she buys, she's a vintage. uh, So she kind of buys wholesale vintage decor, I guess is the best word for it, and resells it. But her real skill is setting, setting up a space so that it feels right. And in my man brain, that's the best way I can describe it. She has a lot of people that come to her and they say, hey, we have this couch. I'm just going to sell it to you because you'll be able to sell it for way more than we can because of the way you're going to stage it. So it's interesting that Scar City asked about interior design because she she does do that. But 
the main part of her business is um, resale. No, I was just going to say that's that's very interesting aspect. Um, and it's it seems like it's everything that's outdoors, right? But upon my research, there's some landscaping that involves and uh, and in, in, not interior design, but some type of internal construction. Is that that be accurate? Accurate statement. I have seen. We haven't branched into it, but there's definitely what they call. Um, gr- I believe they're called greenscapes that right. are used. Right. In, yeah, in the more urban environments where they'll do rooftops, they'll do wall hangers. That's really seems to be a big hit in the areas where you can't have a. You know, you don't have a big backyard. You don't have a garden. That's definitely. I think that would be a huge deal here if we just didn't have such large open spaces. That's really interesting because Car City grew up in New York City. So <laughs> that's really interesting. You just guys talking about this. Yeah. So that's probably why he's asking me that. And that's the beautiful part about the show is that I never would have expected him to ask me like, that one kind of caught, caught me because I was like, you know, I never in my world, that's never even popped into my head. But like I said, that's the beauty of the show is that you got all kinds of people from all over different geographical regions looking at the similar topic and, you know, cultivating different ideas. It's really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Growing up in New York city, everything is, you know, high risers, uh, really high, high risers, you know, 34 <laughs> floors, 50 floors, 60 floors. And we, we typically uh, do everything inside. Even when you're dealing with like condominiums, like huge condominiums and mansions, it's, it's always on the inside until you get to like the countryside. So yeah, no, I appreciate that. Appreciate that answer. Completely born and raised in New York City. Well, I've, I've traveled a lot, but that's that's where my upbringing was for the most part. But I've, I've traveled. I've lived in a lot of states, probably 30 states. Uh, and I've lived a little bit out of country. I've lived in Canada, so a few other places. So, But for the most part, my childhood upbringing was in New York City, yes. Wow, that's that's so cool moving, living in that many different places. It's it's hard for me to imagine that I've been, you know, other than being at Bloomsburg where I met Jake, I've been in your Pennsylvania my whole entire life. It's probably crazy for you to think about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, to me, I'm fine. I, I'm one of those type of people that I'm fine in the big city and I'm also fine in the rural or country areas. Like when I was in Canada, uh, we were in Ontario, but it was a small town and uh, Grimsby, and it was, it was very tiny and it was very, very rural. I mean, the closest gas station was probably like, I don't know, three, four miles, five miles, six miles, something like that. Yeah. I'm from New York City. We have gas stations like every two blocks or every three blocks. So it was a, right. it was a big change for me living out there. But yeah, uh, I, I'm fine in, in any environment. You know, it's all about having peace within your, your own heart and mind. So, yes, very true. To get in this program, H2A and H2B, and it'll apply, it's crazy hard. Uh, you have to actually put ads out to the, to the, the let's just say, the, the, well, the U.S. as a whole as a country, but in that particular region or city or county that you live in before you can apply for this program to see if the actual workers or people will actually apply before you can actually uh, be accepted into this program to hire individuals that live outside the United States. Yeah, um, the so the H2B program is 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 a big part of our business, um, and you you're pretty close. You have it 
you almost have it nailed down, but you're actually, you don't have to do the ads to be accepted into the program. Um, the way it works is you, you basically sign up and then you need to prove, you need to prove that you need a certain amount of workers. So you have to basically show them. And then not to interrupt you, this is for, you have to show the department of labor, correct? Yes. You have to, sh- you have to prove to the department of labor that you have contracts and work enough to keep busy the amount of workers that you're requesting. So if I request 50 workers and I have three maintenance contracts, they're going to say no. If I request 10 workers and I have, you know, 50 maintenance contracts, then, you're, you know, that's, that's the first step. And I, I even have a, a more loose understanding than, than my cousin Johnny would, but um, you apply for the program, you prove how much work you have, then before you will receive, you know, you are, before you're granted any visas at all, you have to prove that you've advert that one that you've advertised for work Two that if anyone applied, so you have to send photocopies of the newspaper ads that you put in the paper, then you have to send. So for anyone that has responded to the, you have to prove that you have the work that advertised all these positions and that you, you have to prove that you interviewed the people and you have to give a valid reason as to why you didn't hire them. And uh, I'm talking about people that live here, you know, American workers. And we've put out, I think this is the, this is the, uh, this is the point at which everybody kind of gasped because we say we put ads out in the paper for the last month for $24 an hour it might have even been higher this year. I didn't see the ad, but for $24 an hour, 50 hours. Right, right, right. Pause for a second. Not to interrupt, not to interrupt but you're saying that is this is a, a just a position, someone just doing landscaping in general or like a mower or? Uh, so we usually post for a landscape labor position. That's good money, $24 an hour. That's I mean, a four. Well, so what we do is we offer a foreman rate just to get just to get anyone to respond. And I'm kind of, I'm getting to the, the point of this whole thing is that no one ever calls. No one ever calls. We don't three years ago, I think we interviewed one person and that's the state of our labor force. That's a good example of the state of our labor force. So that's why we use the program. I get a lot of people that ask, why would you, you know, why do you want to use people at, from out of the country when there's all these people in the United States that need work. Uh, you are correct. They do need work, but they don't want work. They want a paycheck. So that's why we use the program because these guys come up here, they're hungry and they have grit and they will work all day long. And um, they, they always, you know, they show up with a smile on their face, ready to, ready to get done, whatever, whatever you need to do. And um, it's been a blessing being able to work beside them for the last 15 years. But that that's the the program in a nutshell. Um, I guess I could, I mean, I could add to that uh, when, once their contract is up, so they come up on an eight month contract, which is essentially the the grass growing season, if you will. I'd like to wrap Brandon real quick to make clear to the audience these these individuals and these employees that work for your company they're primarily from Mexico and other countries in Central America, correct? Yes, for 
for the industry that we are in, yes, but there's a lot of workers that come for the H2A program, uh, which is agriculture. Um, and there's a lot of H2B workers that come for other industries. So the hotel industry is another one that's very, very big. And uh, we've actually gone, we've actually gone to Washington, D.C. and lobbied for the program because some years the government only releases, um, well, there's always only a set number of visas released to be used by applicants to the program. And one of the hiccups with the program is they won't release enough visas some years, and it's essentially a lottery program. So I've gone into years where I know that I need 22 men, boots on the ground, and two weeks before the mowing season, I have no employees. And the Department of Labor says, "Sorry, you're not going to you're not going to receive your visas until October." That's happened to me before, and I've had to find 22. I've had to basically put a, um, <laughs> I had to say, bad news bears crew together. But I mean, you know, you're scrambling if you have two weeks left and you need that many guys and to have to train them and get things figured out. Um, so that's the biggest hiccup with the program is that the government doesn't recognize what I'm saying to you guys right now, that there are no people that want to work physically. Um, I hate saying no people, but individuals that I can legally employ are hard to come by. So that's that why we they, they prefer to work remote or what? what's the what do you think is the reason behind that? I think the reason behind that is. Um, the, the line of work that we're in is physical. So you're, you're sweating, you're, you're doing, it's hard, it's labor. It's a, it's a labor job. You know, you're wheelbarrowing mulch, you're shoveling mulch stone, um, you're mowing, you're weed whacking. And it, I just feel that I think a lot of kids grow up being told that they're better than that, or that they can do better than that. And it's, it's really, it seems to be coming around now. I, and I mean, to be straight, I think people are lazy today. And I think people keep getting lazier and lazier as um, the country grows older and used to all and more and more used to all of the um, amenities that we have here. You know, you can go work at Sheets now for $20 an hour. Why, why would you do a hard job? Right. The whole concept of work smarter, not harder. Yeah I, yeah, I get what you're saying. Right. Jacob, did you want to jump back in? Oh, no, you good. You got it. You got it. Go ahead, man. Yep. Now, I, wa I wanted to jump into uh, another question here. Um, so in terms of like, you know, like I want to understand like what's some of the things that you've kind of like uh learned like you know i know you and jacob how uh, you guys went to college together what, what's some of the things that you learned in the business and like how to manage the business uh being that you have this uh this friction and you have folks wanting to do computer jobs and desk jobs and not being hands-on what are some of the things that you've learned and how you've learned to manage that yeah that's a I love that question. That was actually one that caught my eye when I was going over the, um, the questions. The thing that, so at Bloomsburg, we learned the numbers, we learned metrics, 
and all that good stuff. You know, everything that allows you to be a good manager. But what we didn't learn was how difficult it can be dealing with and managing anywhere from, I would say managing anywhere from 10, 10 people on up, you know, you're dealing with 10 different personalities. Uh, and we kind of completely greased over that in college. And that's something that has been, especially in the first three years of my management career was very difficult for me to realize that people are not computers. People are not robots. And coming up in the, I was, I think, I, I believe I was blessed to come up in this business and have the tenacity to get through everything that we've been through to get here. I mean, it's, it's very difficult, but that breeds, that turns you into, you know, iron sharpens iron or that, you know, there's all kinds of sayings about what well, doesn't kill you makes you stronger and so on and so forth. But going through everything that we've been through hardened me to a point where I kind of forgot that people weren't, you know, every person doesn't show up at six. If, if we were to start work at six or seven o'clock in the morning, not every person is going to show up at exactly six fifty on the dot, work a 10, 12 hour day all day long, you know, every single day of the week, six days a week and never get hurt, never complain, never have an issue, never have a problem. But when we all work together as a family, that's how we operated. No one ever got, you know, if somebody got hurt, you just sucked it up and kept going. There was no, there's no workers comp. There's no, any of that stuff. You just, you just have to keep going. And it's, it was a huge learning curve for me to learn the people aspect of it and how to, how to manage multiple different personalities all at the same time. That's the biggest thing I learned. Right. So teamwork is basically without that, you're kind of, you guys are in the water. Oh yeah. So yeah. He has a, a whole lot of moving parts for sure. And making, you know, if you have 22 guys working together, split up into four or five man crews, you also have to manage them working amongst each other. And that, that can be hard too. So you're managing the individual and the groups, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah. That's a perfect segue into my, my next question, which is I know in the corporate world I've managed, I've been a director and also a vice president at like uh, banks and other corporations such as law firms and things like that. But in your field, uh, what does the structure look like from an org chart perspective, right? You have, let's say you have 20 guys. Are you going to have you, the one person managing those 20 people? Or would you have like a team lead or a manager or like a captain? How would that, how does that structure like generally look? So the way, uh, I'll just do only the landscaping division because it will get pretty muddy after that, but the landscaping division is pretty, I would say conventional. And we have a general manager who is my, my boss and the production manager's boss. Um, I would be, so I'm direct myself and the production manager are directly under the general manager. Um, I am, I kind of have a unique position that I'm the senior account manager, which I kind of hold all the relationships to all of our large HOA maintenance contracts. And then I have an account manager that's sort of just below me, if you will, who I'm training currently. Um, the company is split into two divisions. We have landscaping and maintenance. And I 
am considered the manager of the maintenance division as well as the senior account manager. So then I have an account manager under me um, and underneath myself. So I'll just kind of break down our organizational structure on the maintenance side. Um, my cousin, Brandon, as my account manager under me, and then he has a production manager under him. The production manager handles all the management of, uh, you know, because myself and Brandon are constantly working with customers. We're mainly sales individuals, but I have always managed everything. So I kind of kick in when uh, the production manager doesn't maybe know how to do something, but that's the basic structure. And then below the production manager, we have foremen or team. I could interchangeably say they're team leaders or a four person who is then the boss of all the laborers of that individual crew. Thank you guys for listening to another amazing episode on All in Motion. On this episode number 46, we have covered what it takes as a manager to make tough decisions with our guest, Brendan Inch. We appreciate you guys coming and listening to All in Motion. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the All in Motion podcast by going to allemotionpodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you can listen to all of our future episodes. On behalf of my partner, Jacob Harrison, and the whole All Emotion staff, this is Scarcity saying take care and look out for episode number 47 coming soon.